Welcome to Bat Therapy, exploring your favorite comic book characters through the lens of clinical psychology. Be a fly on the wall or a bat in the cave, listening in on a friendship built out of a love for talking Batman, comics, and the everyday struggle to achieve mental health and happiness. We're your hosts, clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown and comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. This podcast is about providing education and understanding, and it's not a replacement for mental health treatment or support. If you're needing help, go to bat-therapy.com for resources. Okay, today we're going to start with talking about 1989 Batman, Tim Burton. Yes. My first. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was my first and still one of my absolute favorites oh my god so i mean i was literally texting you as i rewatched it obviously so you already know this but the people listening in don't uh, it had been a while since i had watched this movie and i had forgotten how good tim burton just set it up the vibe was so great yeah you know everything yeah everything was great because honestly i think one of the things he did was you don't know when this takes place oh that's so true you don't know when this takes place. And and I think that can easily be shown between the old cars yep. and constant music made by Prince. <laughs> there was a lot of Prince. There's, I think yeah. it even started with Prince and I was like, wait, it starts with Prince? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, because, yeah, it opens with the Elfman, the Elfman theme. But I think every single non-score music track in it was done by prince respect I actually have that that record that album the batman prince of course you do of yeah. course you do this does not surprise me one oh, yeah. one stinking bit oh gosh yeah because party man the song that plays when he's in the museum mm-hmm. i absolutely love that song oh so good but we'll, we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> yeah before we get started i do have to give my one major pet peeve with this movie which i did remember from the last time you have this badass woman vicky vale you have this amazing reporter in this who literally they they show all of the she's a photojournalist in this she she's gone off and taken photos of these terrible things and the whole movie all she can do is scream and faint so i do not miss the 80s representation of women in action movies (laughs) yeah that was kind of problematic and they definitely i feel like corrected that in the sequel with catwoman yeah i i would agree with that yeah, I think they definitely did a good job correcting it there because she's a total badass. She is. She still has that like 80s, 90s vibe of certain things where they were still figuring out what to do with women's characters. But I agree, huge improvement. And the thing is, it's like, it's funny because it's like she is definitely a sex object, I feel, yeah. throughout the movie. Even the first time you see her, all you see are her legs crossed on the table with her heels on and the newspaper you can't even see her and then when she does pull the newspaper down the reporter is like i'm gonna hit on you for the rest of oh this oh my god movie. he asks her out all the time oh <laughs> welcome welcome to some of the annoyances of of the feminine side of the world yeah that was ridiculous although that was believable it was also funny when he asked her to buy him dinner yeah will you buy or lunch will you buy me lunch she's like yeah maybe because she never but the thing that's funny is she's never really seems bothered by it she really just doesn't care it's like if green eggs and ham ended 
in one page. It's like, hey, do you want to try green eggs and ham? He's, she's just like, no, I don't. And that's the end of the book. There's nothing <laughs> else that comes after that. That's what happens. She, he, he hits on her throughout. And the first time she's just like, no thanks. And then the rest of the time she's just like, so Batman, right? Like she doesn't even, <laughs> I feel like she's not even <laughs> phased by it. Yeah, well, that's how you, yeah. And unfortunately, that also felt very realistic. <laughs> I was going to, yeah, I was going to, honestly, yeah, this is, it's one of those things I look at and I'm just kind of cringe, like, ugh. Yep. Oh, come yeah. on, guys. Come on. Yeah. Do better. Do better, fellas. But it was, it was just, it was funny because, so this movie has a lot of very different things. And I think because at the time, the only movie that existed was the Adam West mm. Batman movie that was based off of, of course, the the television show. Yeah. And so this was its brand new thing, whether it was music, costumes, the city itself, the characters. So they changed a lot of things, yep. but then they also kept a lot of things the same. Like one of the things that, of course, remains the same, Bruce Wayne's parents. Mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne's parents remain the same. In that they're dead. Yes. Yes. Yes, that does happen. Pearls scatter. That yep, seems to true. always be a thing that happens. And it's funny because the movie opens with something that reminisces yeah. on that. Because it's like a family, and at least they, they, they do it better than the Waynes do. Instead of making a beeline for the dark alley, they're like trying their very best to get a taxi. Yeah, that's true. They they did they <laughs> did try pretty hard. Maybe they were tourists. They, they don't know the Oh, yeah, they the were. Trick. Because, I mean, the, the kid had a map. And oh, the dad's just that. like, that's just like, come on, dude, put that map away. I'm, yeah, you're don't you see me? Obvious. Don't you see see me trying to dad right now? Like I'm, I got this. I got this. I know exactly where we are. I don't, but I know exactly where we are. Like, <laughs> let me dad, please. And of course, there's like two extremely sketchy looking mm-hmm. thugs. Like they made them like, all right, we need some really sketchy guys. And I mean, as I mean, it is a dark alley. No judgment, but. They, they look like they hang out in dark alleys, right? Yeah. Somebody's gotta, right? It, and and there's so many in Gotham. So somebody, it's it's a lot of work. It's a <laughs> lot of work. But what's funny is Batman always shows up after it's over. Because the, they get mugged. The guy gets knocked to the ground. They take all their stuff. And then you, you see the two guys. And they're just sitting down. Yep. And, and this is where it starts to shift. Because immediately I'm just like... Does this Batman kill people? Because they're sitting there and they're like, hey, I don't like being up here. You heard what happened to what's-his-face. They found him at the bottom of the building dead, and there was, like, no blood left in his body. And the other guy's like, of course there isn't. It was all on the pavement. He he probably got drunk and fell off or whatever. And the guy's like, that's not what I heard. I heard that giant bat guy got him. And so immediately I'm thinking... Did Batman push that man off the building? Well, because now, he... <laughs> now, 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 in the defense of most storylines, though, he often pushes people off of buildings. He just catches them, right? And, and the whole terrifying people, make people fearful of the symbol. It's a lot easier, especially if, if you don't have powers, right, to have people actually 
re- respect you and maybe um, give up a little bit faster if there's a little fear involved. But you're right. The longer you watch the movie, the more those questions of does he kill people? It definitely pops up in multiple places. Oh, now, and throughout this movie, there were definitely times he did kill people. Yeah. Because yeah. like, he, 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 flips, he flips the guy in the bell tower. Like, he flips him right over, and he falls like... Well, and he literally says, I'm going to kill the Joker. Right. Yeah. He, 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 yeah. There was the uh, bomb that he dropped from the Batmobile in the, oh, right. yeah. in the yeah, building yeah. that blew up. Like, there were people in there. Uh, and so, yeah, he, he definitely is a... He's built different. The first he's one thing that I noticed about this Batman that's very different, he plays dead a lot. Mm. Like, he gets, he gets shot, and they're like, oh, we got him. And then immediately oh, yeah. he like comes up. It happened like two or three times throughout. It's like, oh, we we shot him, we got him, and then so, he just resurrects. Up. So here, okay, so so he's an early on Batman, mm-hmm. right? So um, for those that aren't as fresh on the movie, right? So this is early earlier on. Like people, not everybody knows about Batman. Um, Vicky Vale's coming in to try and find out from a reporter who half the people think he's just making stuff up who's actually writing about this bat guy out there and so vicky vale wants to find out more and team up and and you know you know do more stuff about this batman and so he's early on so i you know i kind of feel like part of that might be coming from okay he's earlier on he probably hasn't like gained the experience so he's not going to be as much as his high fighting prowess but one of the things that struck me about this Bruce Wayne Batman combo is they seem to go more for this kind of like odd, quirky, yet intentional <laughs> strategist where yeah. he's not going to be able to. I, I mean, he's strong, right? They show him like lifting the Joker. He does certain things that people are surprised. But it, you're right. It's more about how do you approach the situation to kind of teeter it in your direction? Like they even definitely right. Like for Bruce Wayne, they go in and he's got like this arsenal in his house of all these different um, warrior outfits. And that just struck me as like, this is a guy who's very studied in all of this warrior stuff to the point where when he ever tries to talk to anybody, he's like this really awkward dude. Well, right. Because this is like, I want to say Michael Keaton was the shortest Bruce Wayne. He's five nine. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he's he's five foot nine. The the menacing features have to come from elsewhere, and the suit definitely does it does it justice. Do a great job there. The car does it justice. But all but the big thing, like they they shoot him. And like, oh yeah, we got him. And then he just rises up, which uh-huh. is it's it's very very different from a lot of the Batman that we've seen before. In the past, it's like oh man. Batman always just has this plan and he finds a way to beat you. This Batman criminals are like, I think he's invincible. Like, I really don't think he plays a mind game. It's possible to kill him because they literally see him fall. And then he gets up (laughs) and beats them. He he beats them. Now it's never established in this movie that Batman does not kill, I don't think. No, and if it was, <laughs> it would be an outright lie. I mean, like, I mean... <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, I, I even in the end where I was like, 
Oh, oh, we're we're ending with death. Okay, this is I don't remember this. <laughs> well, that and uh, one of the things that I noticed immediately is all of his vehicles have heavy, heavy weaponry on them, like machine guns and missiles. Like those aren't things that are like for maiming. Right? Like, you don't have yeah. a minigun because it's like, oh, that brick wall might be in the way. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> th- th- those are for maximum damage. And they definitely, but conveniently, they don't hit anything. Like, at one point, mm. Batman is firing at the Joker in the Batwing, and he misses him with everything. Like, the missiles don't yeah. hit him. The minigun <laughs> yeah. doesn't hit yeah. him. And then he pulls, like, a giant gun out of his pants. Yeah, it was and... like Stormtrooper rules where, like, you know, you shoot a bunch and, and nothing happens. And it's so funny because you, this movie doesn't, I feel like this movie still doesn't know what it wants to be. Like, is it funny? Is it serious? Is is it a drama? Is it comedy? Because there's so many times where mm. I ask myself, what is happening right now? Because... <laughs> And I think a lot of it is because of what Jack Nicholson brings to the stage. Mm. I felt like he did a very, very good job as the Joker in this movie. And he does a great job setting up the scene for Gotham. Because at the beginning of the movie, of course, you have Commissioner Gordon introducing Harvey Dent and talking about how bad crime is. And before he is the Joker, Jack Napier is sitting there watching it on TV. Mm-hmm. Yep. They said it really, uh, yeah, they, they set the scene really well. And, and what I what I think I was struck by a lot with this too is, you know, sometimes there's this kind of sense of, so everything in life has unintended consequences, right? So they're, they're, we do things so that, certain things happen but there's always going to be like the side effects or the ripple effects and there's always this question when it comes to batman in regards to how much is he bringing out these villains right so it it, kind of the thing with weapons right the bigger weapon you get the bigger weapon the other person gets right and so yeah that's always part of the storyline but what's really interesting about the joker in this is napier it was already all there, right? right. So, so really, it, it just, you know, his face got damaged. He was betrayed. All these things happened that I think pushed him further or faster. But there were all of these hints down to like an evaluation when he was like 15 that suggests that he has always been a, a violent guy who probably has very low empathy and who is prone to violence and breaking the law, right? And very smart. Yes. Mm-hmm. And very smart. They make it. They make sure to say that he's he's also brilliant. They also they they went a little bit far because they're like, oh, he really likes chemistry. Yeah, I like, thought that was funny too. Oh yeah, he's yeah yeah. And that's how we get it, makes, guys. He likes poison. Right. He that's how he makes all the Joker gas and all these dangerous cause medics and stuff and so yeah he was already on that end of the spectrum i feel like the the accident just brought the laughter 
and exactly the face but it, it was so funny because the first thing that that you really hear them say and it just reiterates i feel like they always you always have to set the tone in any batman movie by showing just how much it sucks the the quote that that jack napier says is so funny because he just goes decent people shouldn't live here they'd be much happier someplace else <laughs> you know it's funny when he said that i thought of you immediately yeah because <laughs> because we keep talking about who lives in gotham anyway <laughs> right who would who would make this decision like obviously i mean maybe that's where the minimum wage is decent maybe they have 15 dollars an hour minimum wage there right mm. something is keeping these people there and this is just the beginning because right at the beginning it's just like oh it's just corrupt mafia type guys in like zoot suits going around <laughs> doing gangster things then the joker though that's when i feel like it's like, oh now it's really gotham yeah that newscaster just died on live television now that's gotham right yeah <laughs> it is home very... sweet home <laughs> <laughs> it is very interesting. I mean, it, it, it does like it, it shows this coming of age of, of Batman actually coming to be in Gotham. And, and here we are at the very same time. Here is the Joker. And like you said, this is the this is like the quintessential villain style that we think of for Gotham. And what's ironic is he even blames Batman for his coming to be. He's like, you dropped me. It's like, Bro, you got yourself there. <laughs> like all of these things were already happening, whether Batman was there or not. Right. Now, it does show, you know, once once um, Napier has gone through and gotten surgery and, and, you know, he's seeing the damage. It does show him like seeing you know, this article about Batman and maybe that kind of triggers something within him. But all of these things were kind of coming up and lining up by themselves, which feels kind of unique to, to this story um, where, like I said before, like in a lot of them, there's more of this kind of tie between Batman right. and the Joker or other of those larger villains and and how much do they kind of play into each other. Yeah, and, and honestly, and it's funny because it seems like Batman always gets the credit for creating the Joker and... Yeah the obvious OSHA laws that are being broken in these chemical factories never get brought up. And I was and... going to say, well, that's where the big money is. And I'm like, but wait, Bruce Wayne has money. Like what are the, like it's, it's weird because I'm like, what do these places make? And I know normally it's ACE chemicals. I know mm. like back in night, I think 1951 was the first time you actually hear about ACE chemicals. But in this, they changed it to Axis. Mm. Well, Axis and he chemicals. even shoots holes in the things that say dangerous toxin or whatever, <laughs> right? He literally <laughs> dug his own grave. Well, I guess not grave, but he, he literally created his own toxic bath. Right. And it's what's so funny about it, too, is to this day, I don't know what these places make. Like, ACE chemicals and access chemicals in this exists for mistakes to happen. Every time you see it, it's like a rusted factory with just giant open vats of boiling acid. Like it's set up like an eighties 
like a, a, a early 90s video game. Like, oh, who do, who, who do I have to go fight this time? It's a guy at the end of whatever hellscape this is. It's like, oh, I finally came out of the dark alley with robbers, and now I'm just in this factory with no workers in it that's full of bubbling acid. Yeah, why and that's, is it still bubbling at night when no one's around? Yeah, and that's throughout. That's not even this movie. That's every single time Ace Chemicals is shown. It's just this giant OSHA hazard that would be on CNN in a heartbeat. But yes, back to what you're saying. I do agree. Jack Napier was already kind of on his way. He was on his way. Yeah. So there's there's kind of this trajectory that they see a lot of times in in, in terms of more law breaking and violent behavior and things like that where a lot of times someone starts off with things like oppositional defiant disorder or conduct disorder where at a young age you're seeing things where a person seems to be fairly reactive like they even said in his like earlier evaluation there was like um like a lot of uh, I forget how they word it but emotional up and downs um, there tends to be law breaking and just not really considering the rights of others or the feelings of others. And, and, and it, they did the super quick kind of thing with his evaluation when he was younger. Cause I was paying close attention. I was like, Oh, psychology. And of course they gave us almost nothing, but I will say this <laughs> on their behalf. They did not throw random crap in there. That makes no sense. Like I love when people will be like, they'll, they'll use stuff that makes sense. Like they'll say, so um, based on the DSM-5, which is the correct um, way of that, that's kind of our diagnostic classification book. So okay, using I was the right term, ask. And then they'll make up something. So they'll, they'll know the book to find the diagnosis in, and then they'll make up a diagnosis. I've seen this right. multiple times. So Let's just insert I, this page. Yes, yes. Um, my husband has seen me react to these things. Like, why would you do that? It's so easy to Google. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll give them credit for that. But I was hoping they were going to give a little bit more tidbit. But for sure, he he definitely, from, from the snippets they give you and from what they show you in terms of, you know, how he interacts before becoming the Joker, it def- there's definitely this, like, antisocial personality disorder or um, psychopathy or something related to likely just not really playing by the same rules as the rest of society where um, yeah there are other storylines where it's a little fuzzier but but this joker laid his own path for sure and it's funny that you you brought that up because like you said he had things showing kind of what he was headed towards It, it almost seems like they were kind of showing or like, like you said, it was like the tip of the iceberg. Hey, look, yep, we attempted to diagnose him. And so, yeah, that, that brings me to my first question for mm. you. If you ran into a young Jack Napier. Oh, this is going to be a hard question. With these tendencies, what, what do you do to keep them from going on that path? Because it seems mm. like his story. It's like, sorry, I'm born for destruction, baby. Like, everything goes wrong. He majors in all the right things to Art and be chemistry. Like t- right, right. It's like, what? oh, yeah, he loves art and chemistry. I'm like, really? Let's go to the museum and gas people. Right. Like, I, I, when, when they said that, I almost, like, just kind of stared at the screen like, really? 
Is that why he's the Joker? He likes art and chemistry. Like, oh, <laughs> what happens when you just combine that? Oh, you get the Joker. That's how that works. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. So he just, he has maybe, maybe this goes back to my doctorate theory in okay. Gotham. Maybe Joker has a doctorate in both art and chemistry. So I was actually about to say that my father has <laughs> interests in both art and chemistry. So that's a little worrisome. How's he doing? <laughs> you know, he's doing all right. How's as far doing? as I know. No yeah. bubbling vats nearby that I'm aware of. Does he like gas masks, right? <laughs> those are those are rampant through thing that is rampant throughout. The people of Gotham are not very smart. Mm. At, at, at all and it's like a constant running thing granted if the like because in this movie the the joker's like i'm gonna drop 20 million dollars on gotham and i want mm -hmm. the people to come out and this is after he's killed so many people yeah and they're still like okay i'll be there name the time as long as you play more prince music i promise I'm i down. wish i'm down and they do. And you can, like, there are certain scenes in the movies where you can see the gas mask in the goons' pockets before they pull them out. <laughs> warning. Warning. <laughs> right. Like, Ignoring no one... the warning signs. Right. Like, this is, this, first off, Joker is a red flag. Joker holding a <laughs> gas mask is a much larger red flag. So, so getting back to your question about Napier and and what would you try and do for a younger version of him one of the things that you you kind of hinted at as you were you were talking about him at that point so one of the things to to consider about how we function as human beings is it's a it's a complicated combination of nature and nurture our genetics and the environments and situations in which we have have lived and in particular, when we're growing up, these things tend to stick with us for really long periods of time. Um, and and one of the one of the big reasons for this is your brain is in the process of developing during this time. So there's a lot of of learning and soaking up information, almost like a sponge. And so one of the things with Napier that I would wonder about is oftentimes so. You can have a lot of people go through the same situations and they're not going to all respond in the same way. And that's where genetics and our upbringings and experiences come into play. So so keeping in mind that there's likely some genetics going on where he, he's likely less prone to being able to put himself into other people's shoes. Um, there's some information to suggest that for some people, uh, the pleasure centers of their brain or the reward system is set up a bit differently. Um, these are things that could be going on for him. Um, some people might just have a more emo a reactive brain and feel emotions more strongly than others. There are a lot of different things that could be coming into play. Um, and, and one of the things, though, no matter what the genetics is, the environment tends to pull for things. And I do wonder what kind of environments he was in. You were saying earlier something like, you know, I, I, I was 
I was born for this, right? right? And so so the question to me is, he ended up being with a bunch of mobsters. How did he get there, right? Did Was he raised in an environment where maybe there was a lot of crime going on around or a lot of abuse and neglect happening or a lot right. of... A lot of chaos that that pulled these things more strongly out of his underlying genetics because you'd want to give someone more stability and help them be able to build a sense of connection to other people. But if you're not in an environment that allows for that vulnerability, it's actually going to work against you because then you're going to get hurt. Right. And you know, he's a uh, he's a very different joker. Yes. From from the ones we normally see, because one, he absolutely loathes Batman in every way, which is different from what we normally see, where he's just almost infatuated with Batman and wants to kind of see what makes him Mm -hmm. tick. This is also the only Joker that killed the Waynes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the only one I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I could be wrong in that, but I had never seen a Batman backstory where a young Joker is the one that killed the Waynes because that kind of sets Batman kind of on a mission. Like I'm going to kill this guy. It's like, Oh, Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh wow. He just, he just went Frank Castle there. Didn't he? Yeah. He went, he went straight for, all right, you murdered my parents. I'm going to murder you right on back. (laughs) Cracks, cracks his bat knuckles. Yeah. I'm going to go to town. Yeah, you're right. They, even even kind of the foundational storylines, it, it's it, they're tied together in a very different way that I would say is not my favorite way that they're tied together. Like usually I like those stories that kind of interweave people like this. Um, it's not my favorite, but it, it, it's definitely interesting. And, and it, it pulls for different things out of this Joker and this Batman compared to a lot of the other stories. So like Batman, just like, well, going to kill you. That was easy. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like one thing that always gets like nerd ruff- feathers ruffled mm. is when, whenever a superhero movie comes out, what they're looking for more than anything is comic book accuracy. Mm. And instead, I feel like whenever a movie comes out, they should just go ahead and put this in the Elseworlds category where we don't know what's <laughs> going to happen, and that's okay. Yeah. We've gotten better about that, I feel like. Eh, me and no. you have. Me and oh. you have. I don't... Oh. I'm not giving... I'm not giving the rest of nerddom credit for anything. Keaton, don't insult the nerds <laughs> who we want to listen to our podcast. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love... I, I love them. I feel like we're, we're kind of running the show right now though and i think our, our heads are getting a little big it's true you remember when we like wouldn't tell people that we were into batman like that's not the first thing you would tell people right okay maybe you don't remember that might be what you led with okay you're right i'm lying i said right because i wanted to seem relatable but i can't truly remember yeah. when i did see yeah like i uh, yeah i feel like there were things that that you used to say apologetically like yeah. Oh, I, you know, I'm into the, uh, and now it's like you post it all over social media and yeah, now it's the cool thing to do. You're right. Our heads, our heads are getting big. It's all, it's all going to topple down someday. Oh yeah. Eventually, eventually things will re- reset and the, well, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get stereotypical here. The jocks will take back over. Is that the right? <laughs> it was the, it was, the, we're talking about an eighties movie, right? I mean, this is right after yeah. breakfast club when all the. All the, everyone's in their own 
specific category. Maybe it'll just... So are you saying that right now we're in like Anthony Michael Hall's later years? I mean, yes. And then we're going to revert back to his younger years? I think that's a perfect way to look at it. I mean, he showed up in The Dark Knight for a little bit. So he did, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. So I think, oh, yeah, you, you nailed it there. Coming full cycle. Full circle. Oh that's full yeah. Circle, yes. Same oh. character, same universe. Yikes. But yeah, this is a very different Batman universe yes. that you can definitely put in the Elseworlds category because they do a lot of different things. One thing that I also noticed is this universe doesn't know the like tragedy of yeah. the, of the Waynes. It surprises me over and over again in this movie. Yeah, like she does in like they do investigative journalism to find out, hey, look, Bruce Wayne's parents got mm-hmm. murdered when he was a kid. And I'm like, how do people how do they not not know, that? not know that, right? Like it's one of those in a real world scenario, I feel like something on that level would automatically be known. Yeah, it does. I, I, I think it goes more and more into so when it comes to Bruce Wayne, he's a very different representation of Bruce Wayne than most of them either. I mean, I mean, you've got the like playboy Bruce Wayne's and you've got the socially withdrawn Bruce Wayne's and like absent Bruce Wayne's. He's like the the like eccentric billionaire that no one really fully knows about yeah. him right he's, he's, and he's so got weird the quirks of that eccentric billionaire and yeah yeah he's so weird like and, and <laughs> every time they show him he's doing something weird like the first time they re- you really see bruce wayne like they're all at the party that yep. they got invited to he just shows up behind them he's like oh yeah that's that oh because i bought it it's like oh oh you're bruce wayne he's like oh yeah I didn't introduce myself. That's after earlier she had asked which one was Bruce Wayne. He was like, oh, I don't know. No one knows. But even before that, right? So he's like signing something with a pen and he like meets her and she says like three words to him. And he's just like, you you can tell he like doesn't know what to do with himself. Right. And, And she walks off and he just is holding the pen and he turns around, just sticks it in a random like sculpture statue thing. And then poor Alfred's like literally going around behind him fixing everything that bruce wayne is bumbling which is very and it and it does not the thing is is that it's happening when people aren't paying attention to him and yeah. and it seems to cross over into you know all these other interactions he's having so yeah there's like almost this like weird bumbly absent-minded thing to him that's very different and it's yeah. hard to put together with Batman, but I think it makes more sense with what you were talking about earlier. This is the kind of person who's going to think about like the performance aspect of it, I think, yeah. right? He's not yeah. as much of the like muscle and and brute force. And and some of it I think a lot of it is definitely Tim Burton, right? Like oh, for sure. I I laugh at the part like after him and Vicky Vale hook up and she wakes up in like the middle of the night and he's just over in the corner hanging upside down <laughs> oh my god yes and, and you think to yourself what is he doing <laughs> you you think I, I i actually paused it at that part because i had to ask myself what is happening right now like is, is he this, sleeping that way is this really my favorite batman like is it <laughs> like it like <laughs> It was, it was one of those things like I thought about like, wow, this is this, this is 
such a, a a weird movie. And there's so many things that make it weird, but he really steals the show as far as being weird goes. Like Yeah. Yeah. In the like in that room where he's with the two reporters and the really annoying cat calling reporter, he just goes, Hey, can we have grants? And Bruce Wayne gives him one. So like, oh yeah, yeah, give give that guy a, a grant. And that was yeah. that. After yeah. Alfred made it brutally honest that he was Batman, right? Because it was like, oh, sir, this is happening. He said, oh, okay, cool, Alfred. And then Alfred oh, tells him right. the other way, sir. It's like, what? Yeah, Alfred, Alfred Chill, quote unquote, dude. subtly tells him in front of people that, yo, you've got to go be Batman right now. Something sketchballs happening in front of two reporters who, t- I mean, they didn't figure it out. So maybe Alfred is just a really good reader of stupid people. This Alfred definitely does his own thing, right? Like at one, he just brings Vicky Vale down into Batcave. Well, no, I mean, she asked to go down there. She had figured it out. Oh, she, okay. Okay. Yeah, so she had figured I, okay. it out. Yeah, I, but... yeah, yeah. Because she saw the, you know, she she saw what Bruce Wayne was able to do. She knew he was like trying to tell her something. She she put two and two together. Okay. At least that's what I believe happened. Okay. So that makes me feel, that makes me feel better. Because yeah. before I was like, did Alfred just make an executive decision? Like, you know what? You need a woman, Bruce. <laughs> so here's something interesting, though, from the Vicky Vale perspective. So so one of the things that flagged for me, especially because, you know, when you and I talk about Bruce Wayne and Batman, what are the things that, that help him push himself while also, you know, staying on the side of good? Because in some representations of who he is, he he really could skirt that line. And so um, somewhere near the end of the movie, she actually points out to him that there are some people that see no difference between Batman and the Joker. And so we've talked about how one of the things that, that might help him with this is the no kill rule, which clearly is the kill everything I want to rule in this movie. (laughs) And so I have wondered about that. Like I wonder like within this Bruce Wayne slash Batman, what what does he see as the difference between him and the criminals? I mean, obviously part of it's probably like they're going out and like hurting and killing innocent people. I wonder for him if it's more of a, are you someone harming other people? And if so, you're fair game, right? right. Is that what his role is? Like what, what separates him in his mind? You know, and that's a good question because it seems like it, because even at the beginning of the movie, he basically sees exactly what happened to him as a child when he first shows, when he first shows up. So, oh man, I got to beat these guys to a pulp. Robbing, robbing a family while they try and peacefully walk through a dark alley. That's the no-do, right? I'm going to work. (laughs) But then after that, I feel like every time you see him in action, it's just against the main bad guys because the next time you yeah. really see him is when Axis Chemicals is being raided or whatever they were trying to do. That's a funny thing about it because like these the the plot lines for the villains it seems like they're they're just evil. And and those are always fun because you, you I feel like they do a much better job breaking down villains in comic book movies now because before it definitely has yeah. a lot of 80s action movie vibes where it's like this guy doesn't really have a plan he's just mean 
right? He just wants to kill people. Well, and maybe that's part of it, right? Where, like, back then it was more like, good, evil, go. Yeah. And so maybe you need less of that division, where nowadays there is more of that gray and everything's complicated and and most things shows like the different layers which is really super cool because that's how people really are like i mean if you met napier if you met joker out on the street very rarely are you going to have someone if ever where you're like yeah that person's a hundred percent pure evil but it's more comfortable for our brains to think that way so yeah this movie falls into that comfort zone where maybe that's where batman is he's less sophisticated and is able to just be like they are just bad and he's not paying attention to the human side yeah yeah but at this yeah and at the same time this batman definitely lives in the gray area because like we said there's several different times he definitely kills people whether it's self-defense or or not People, people bit. Oh, the, there were there were some non-self-defense the related ones, I think, in here. <laughs> I was so trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. He hadn't gone to trial yet. <laughs> this guy is suiting himself up, and you were, you have mentioned earlier he's he's weaponing up in a like very war zone like manner. Yes. And so, if he's doing that, killing takes on a different shade. Yeah. Because if we, when, so one of the interesting things that can come up is culturally, when is killing someone okay, right? The act of doing something to someone else that results in their death. When is that okay or acceptable or right morally in terms of like a cultural context? Mm -hmm. And so at least in our, you know, the, the United States majority culture, one of those ways is is war, right? So mm-hmm. when when there is war, um, and and you're fighting, and usually we think of you know you're fighting for peace or the good of whatever. And here he's fighting for peace within Gotham, putting on a uniform, weaponizing yourself in a warlike manner. Death and killing takes on a different meaning potentially for him. That's a good point. And they skipped over that whole, I can never kill anyone part in mm-hmm. this movie. And so yep. he's he's just kind of like, I'm going to fight crime. It is what it is. Like, yep. <laughs> he definitely uh, isn't opposed to killing. I mean, he definitely killed Joker at the end. Like, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to catch his legs and make sure the other part is is tied to a stone gargoyle. What could happen? <laughs> right? <laughs> Look, you know, um, maybe his background didn't include art, chemistry, and physics, okay? Did you, <laughs> it was did, just art and chemistry. <laughs> did, did you notice that the building, like the cathedral they were in, kept getting taller every scene? <laughs> No, I didn't notice that. I did notice there were a lot of bells in that tower, though. Right. Like, so they go into it, and uh, Vicky Vale and the Joker are slowly walking up the steps to this place. It did take forever. But then by the time you get to the top, it is towering over every skyscraper in Gotham. Like, it's the <laughs> largest building I've ever seen. It's like the Burj Khalifa before there was a Burj Khalifa. Like, it's the... It is an insanely tall building that they just slowly climb the steps up at like for in five minutes. 
no elevators just just did it and what's funny is batman is slowly kind of doing the jason power walk behind them he's not really running after them to catch no, him he's he just very i mean he got really beat up right before that so he did he survived the plane crash which protagonists often do <laughs> <laughs> like you you never you, you never hear about i was never worried about plane crashes growing up because oh did you think you were the good guy in the story I was. I am the good guy in the story. I am. We're not. We're not breaking me down. Not tonight. Not on no, air. Not, not on air. <laughs> but it's all right. I'm the one with the PhD, so clearly I'm. I'm the antagonist, the the bad guy in this story. Glad. Glad that we're moving forward with that. I'm. I'm glad that you're admitting <laughs> it now. So. Yes, Doctor Brown. Yeah. Who knew that doctor was going to get me in trouble? But yeah. So where where were we? Gosh, we we. So the never-ending tower. Yeah, the the tower the tower kept getting taller. Uh, Joker is about to get away, and then Batman clearly murders him. <laughs> yes, which was premeditated. Oh yeah, oh because yeah. Because he actually announced that he was going to kill the Joker, and and I uh, to be fair, I don't know if it was. I think it was before he knew that Vicky Vale was kidnapped, right? I think it was before the yeah, because she got kidnapped after the crash. Yeah, yeah. So it was before all that. Like, like he he found out. Oh, you killed my parents. Death, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Th- this was not like a whoopsie kind of situation. Yeah, it was. It was. This was. It was more revenge. Once they and they yeah. brought they brought that plot line forward really really late in the movie like you find out near the end of the movie that jack napier killed the waynes you you, you yeah. don't find out at the beginning you find out right before the third act like oh mm-hmm. um huh well that changes things batman isn't just trying to fight crime anymore he's trying to kill someone yeah they really breeze over that quite a bit, actually, which which might fall in line with the whole if he's seeing this as part of the whole war against crime and he's seeing it from that perspective. Well, in his mind, it's still vengeance, even though you're right, it's it's definitely shifting into revenge. You hurt me. I'm going to hurt you back. Well, and, and that's a question that I, I had for you, like psychologically, when we all build, because I feel like everyone has a some kind of code that they live by yeah but everyone also has outliers true like batman's no kill rule didn't apply to the joker in in (laughs) in this movie everyone has outliers so do you think that these codes that these these heroes live by are the 100 percent result of their trauma because if we're looking at like batman outside the realm of this movie he doesn't kill because of what happened to him he can paralyze he can break legs he can crack skulls but i will not kill but this batman you, you can almost say he's more human because he he's like oh this guy killed my parents well i'm gonna kill him He's a bad guy. He's a bad guy, and he killed my parents, and he's a real bad guy now. Yeah, I think a lot of people can can relate to that right. decision. You know, I, I think this goes back though to the you can have the same thing happen to a number of different people, and they're going to respond in different ways. So, 
the reason mental health and psychology and all of this is so complicated is I cannot think of a single example where one instance, no matter how strong, no matter how intense, no matter how significant, where one instance is the only cause of what happens afterward. Because no matter what, there are going to be differences in terms of your brain chemistry. There's going to be differences in terms of other parts of your genetics. And 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 also, even if you had twins, so even if you had twins who had the same genetics and they grew up in similar places, they grew up in the same household, there would still be these subtle differences between how they experience the world what they've gone through, and all of those things, while not as intense as like a trauma experience, they all feed into how a person responds to that trauma. So you could have some people who, in response to that trauma, it feeds into, like you're talking about, this moral code that leads to a no-kill rule for one Batman versus this other one who... um, is okay with killing if it's within certain circumstances because the end justifies the means or sometimes you need the lesser evil to take out the greater evil. Um, And so trauma, trauma oftentimes or any big event in our life, whether it is a, a large negative event that threatened our well-being or, or the well-being of someone around us, whether it hit that or not, um, but trauma and other large experiences, they of course they they color um, our moral code and and also how our moral code changes over time. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of other stuff that comes into play too. And one of the really interesting things um, that can happen too is when when you have someone who's had to come up against their own moral code. Let's take war for example. You grow up. Don't kill people. You go to war, kill people. You come back, don't kill people. Oh. Right? Right. So moral codes shift based on the situations, the scenarios, our experiences, etc. You've got to wonder when a person kind of steps out. Like I wonder about this Batman when he steps back from the wartime, when there's a lull, what happens then, right? Or when someone sets down the mask, what happens then? Because then you have to face up to the moral code shift that was happening when you were in that different situation. And they kind of they 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 kind of do that in this movie a little bit because at the end they they did this thing where they were they they kind of just said, "Joker's dead, no more crime in Gotham," because they're giving the speech <laughs> and they they they're base. It's been eradicated, but. Batman has given us this signal, and if crime should ever arise, he'll be there. I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, so in an hour, tops. <laughs> like this is this is Gotham we're talking about. Like it's not like, oh, Joker's dead, no more muggings. Yeah, but it is this thing where here was this really intense situation. So, like you were saying, there are outliers, and. It, it can make sense to have a, an extreme change in what you do based on an outlying situation. But yeah, it, do, it does feel like everybody is kind of along for the ride of like, this was okay because of how bad it got. Yeah. Right? And then this assumption that things will come back down. 
Um, but if if the, let let's say things came back down and it never spiked up again, then everyone would have to really sit with the actions they took when things were bad, when they did things that don't fit their normal moral code on a day-to-day basis, right? So the fact that these other villains come up later, it, it almost kind of helps kind of perpetuate these extremes where Batman never has to really sit down and check himself. Right. And and the thing is, and, and it made me kind of think of the the times, because I mean, this came out in 89. A year before that, Die Hard came out. Ah, Die Hard. Yeah. And, and, and so it's funny because I'm sitting here kind of, I, I did end up kind of compared it to why I'm thinking about it because I'm thinking, oh, John McClane, he's a good cop. But at the same time, he kills so many people with without question. Yeah. And, and like you said, because in our minds, we're thinking, oh, well, they're terrorists. You they can, deserve it. They deserve you can kill them. And, and I, I think the same thing happens in this because. Everything that came after this movie did a very good job of Batman does not kill people. He mm. still he still kills in almost every single movie at one point. I can't unsee that now that you've told me that, so thank you. Yeah, he still <laughs> kills, like, every single movie, he, he does. Even, like, I don't have, I, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you. And I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> really? Like, oh, okay. Okay. Whatever. Once again, that moral code, right? Right. So, so what is and is is not okay in terms of causing someone else's death? Right. And and you know when we hear that, it does hit us differently. Okay, you actively killed someone versus you actively did not save someone. Yeah. It's not necessarily great, but it is. We can we tend to consider that a step down. It's very interesting how you can have the same end result. And yet we we perceive it in different ways. And it's funny because I feel like Batman's superpower is actually conveniently being in a place where he does not have to kill anyone, right? Like he he always has a, a batarang that that'll come behind their head in, instead of in front of them, so they don't shoot the the victim. And it he he always manages to find a way without killing and that is one of the things that makes him so interesting but like that's what makes him interesting as a character in this movie you, you're kind of just sitting back and thinking where's this headed yeah yeah where, where 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 are they going where are they going with this and and it's fun because the whole time i'm wondering there's prince music playing in the background or danny elfman which is also very phenomenal absolutely well on that note let's shift into a mindful nerd moment Ooh, what do we got so i decided to go a little bit more general so i don't have anything kind of specific to the the movie okay but i did come up with a mindful nerd moment that could be useful for for batman as he's kind of going about his his thing so i was thinking about you know what batman was doing during the movie and so he uses his grapple gun and he swings through the air, you know, across Gotham. And, and I was trying to think of a better verb than swinging because that doesn't sound super, you know, butch and impressive. Uh, but that's, that's all I could come <laughs> up with. So Batman, you swing through the air. <laughs> so um, what I thought we'd do is 
it's kind of a rendition of mindful walking or mindful whatever. So the nice thing about mindfulness is is you can do it pretty much when you do anything. Yeah. And one of my favorites is mindful walking because it's just really taking in the full present moment of what it's like to to walk. And we often walk and don't pay attention to where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, so think about walking to your car, to the bus or wherever. And especially if it's a place that you've walked a bunch of times, you probably don't even remember the act of doing it. You just, yeah, I started one place, I ended up in the other, and the rest of it's a blur. Right. So it's all about taking taking that in more purposefully and intentionally to appreciate those moments and, and all that they bring. So I want to do that, but with imagining that we are Batman and we've used our grapple gun and kind of shot it into the air, hit it on a building, and we're swinging off. All right, you down with it? I'm here for it. All right, let's tr- let's give it a shot. So as always, what we'll do is um, sit comfortably uh, wherever you are. Try and make sure that you're sitting straight. And if, if in a chair, your feet are flat on the floor, making sure that your arms are just resting naturally, either by your sides or in your lap. If you're comfortable with it, it can be helpful to close your eyes. If you're not helpful with it, that's okay. Just softening your gaze so that you're not really looking at anything in particular. And first, just take a few deep breaths just to help yourself center and pay attention to what those breaths feel like. And I want us to just envision ourselves as Batman, like I was describing before. You're up, up high on a building or a tower somewhere. You've shot your grapple gun. It's connected with a building nearby. And what we're going to do is set an intention to mindfully use the grapple gun and swing through the air. So take a a few more deep breaths and just acknowledge that during this time, you'll try and be aware of this environment we're imagining around us and pay attention to your internal state as well. So you'll be noticing your thoughts, your feelings, and your body's sensations as well. There's no set rules. You can imagine any location. It can be the, the top of the Gotham Police Department, off of a favorite Gotham building, or just a regular old neighborhood. So as you begin to swing through the air, first notice the sensation of being pulled up into the air and your feet leaving the ground. Notice the Muscles that tense or relax as you move. Notice just the feeling of your body as you're swinging through the air. Notice the intensity of the motions in your body and the feeling of the air around you. Expand your awareness to notice the surroundings that you imagine around you. Notice what you see, what you smell, what you hear, 
what you taste, and what you feel. Try to stay aware of the sensations as you swing through the air while also becoming aware of what it feels like internally. What thoughts, feelings, or emotions might come to you as you imagine swinging through the air? What thoughts cross your mind? What emotions are there? Are they intense or are they mild? Are these internal experiences pulling you in or can you observe them with a little bit of distance? Try not to judge what you notice internally. These are not good or bad. Just practice noticing them for what they are. And in these last few moments, I want you to imagine that you're finally reaching that building on the other side. You put your feet firmly on the ground beneath you. You steady yourself on this adjoining building. Take in just a few last deep breaths and congratulate yourself for the intention that you had to practice the grapple gun swinging through the air mindfully. And just keep in mind that no matter how many times your mind was pulled away or how well you think you may have done, you set the intention to do this mindfully. And that's what we were here for. So when you're ready, I want to invite you to just move your body around a little bit, do a few stretches just to kind of get used to the room you're in now, coming out of this image and vision of Gotham. And when you're ready, open your eyes and refocus them and we will wrap up our podcast for today. So how was that, Keaton? I I had to try really hard not to laugh because you all couldn't see it. But when I said, imagine you're Batman, Keaton had the biggest, goofiest, happiest grin on his face I've ever seen. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I did. Um, And yeah, it was it was a little it was a little hard not to get distracted, because when you did say, imagine you're Batman and you're grappling through the air, it's I, I had. I had mixed emotions and it's one of those things where I have issues trying not to overthink things constantly because I'm like, Oh wow, I'm Batman. But I also really am not crazy about heights. Ooh, I wondered if that could happen for anyone doing this. And so, Hmm. Like I was like, I'm, I'm, you know, what? I, I, I was really concentrating on the grapple gun and, and, not looking mm-hmm. down and not looking down. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Mixed emotions are awesome. There is a misconception. People think mindfulness means relaxation. It does not. The the end result with mindfulness is a more relaxed outlook on life because there's less fighting the reality of the fact that we have mixed emotions, right? We're not only going to have positive experiences. We're also going to have negative ones or ones that don't feel as good in the moment, right? And so I actually love hearing that you had these mixed feelings and it was kind of pulling at you as you did it because that means that even though you were imagining yourself as as this other character, it was actually pulling for some things to help you practice 
not judging it, not, you know, saying, oh, I'm not going to feel that, but, oh, God, I'm Batman, and this is so great, and also I'm terrified. Right. Right. As as someone should be if they are Batman. Right? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's it for us today. Yes. I agree. Thanks for nerding out with us. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown. You can find me at Crafting the Mind on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And I'm comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. You can find me and my friends' movie reviews and reaction videos at TeamJVS.com or on YouTube at TeamJVS. For more information on this and other topics, check out our website at bat-therapy.com. To keep current on episodes and other updates, subscribe to our Bat Therapy YouTube channel or follow us on social media. We'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.